0: Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right. I'm so excited for this one. I love these guys. This week, we get to hear from Margot Timmons, lead singer of Cowboy Junkies. I have always loved this band. They do something so special and unique to me. Because, I mean, bands based on kind of folk and the blues, that's not unique. But the way they do it and the spin they put on these things is wholly unique. I think, as most people know, they came into prominence in the late '80s with that breakthrough album, *The Trinity Sessions*. Now, that album's been talked about a lot, but i I had some further questions, and Margot entertained them with me. It was I was she was so gracious, and so we get to know a little bit more about the making of that album, which really means a lot to me. And. I think something else that they do really well is covers. In fact, you could argue that in a lot of cases, they take ownership from the original artists on a lot of covers, including this one right here, Sweet Jane. So they have a brand new album out called Songs of the Recollection, which is a bunch of covers and they're done in the best Cowboy Junkies way possible. And so we talk about in here, what goes into making a a covers album? Do you pick songs you like? Do you pick songs you think you can do better? Do you pick songs you just think you can put a unique spin on? What happens? It's a really interesting conversation. But the thing that means the most to me in this is something that comes out is, I think, Margot's inherent decency. And I love that. There's a spirit to her that you don't find in other p- people, especially not other rock stars. I mean, she's in a band with her with her family members for the most part. And her description of how to keep that going and how to respect each other and what it's like at Christmas and stuff like that is so intuitive and so interesting and sweet and honest. I loved it. There have been times over the years where labels have wanted her to kind of sex it up or wear a shorter skirt or fix herself somehow. And she's refused because she's in a band with her family. And that makes total sense to me. So anyway, there's a lot of ground to cover in here from just really one of the best bands there are, the Canadian band, by the way, and um, in case you forgot. And Margot called me from her home outside of Toronto. Okay, so here's the deal. Let me me start this out. I got to tell you a story about the new album. So after it came out, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it was covers. I just knew it was new. That's all I knew. And uh, I'm in the car. With the kids and I pull it up. We have a Tesla and I pull it up on Spotify and it kicks off. And my 15 year old daughter, I I have just a real proud parent moment because my 15 year old daughter from the backseat goes, dad, this is five years.
0: Come over. We had five years left to cry. News guy wept and told us Earth was really dying. Cried so much his face was wet. Then I knew he was not lying. I telephone, opera house, melody. I saw boys, toys, electricals, and TVs. My brain hurt like a warehouse. It had no room to spare. I had to cram.
1: And I thought, yes, she yeah. remembers the times I made her listen to the Ziggy Stardust album. She kept it with her and she recognized the song enough to know that's what was going on. That's great. Nobody does covers quite like Cowboy Junkies. You guys, if anything, you take ownership of some of these songs, certainly Sweet Jane and others. What went into creating this album at this time?
2: Hmm. Well, hmm. what went into it? I think COVID.
1: <laughs> yes, that'll do uh, it.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we were working on Ghosts which is another album we've released during COVID or at the end of it or wherever we're at with COVID. And we wanted to, you know, continue to keep working. So we decided, you know, let's do something that didn't require writing and creating as far as, you know, new material. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we, we do love our covers. We're always working on covers. We've got, you know, so many covers in our catalog that have been recorded. A lot of them have never come out. Uh, we played them live on stage and people are always asking, you know, where can I get that song? You know, where can I? so we thought, well, let's, you know, let's put um, a, a, an album out with all these covers. We've done it before, uh, several years ago or decades ago or something. It's, it's such an enjoyable process, you know, to do it because again, we love our covers mean a lot to us um, and being able to, Choose them, go back and listen to some. Some I couldn't even remember, I even sang (laughs) and sing that
0: song, (laughs) you know. So,
2: and some of them are, like I say, so old that I don't even remember, and some of them are brand new, like five years. So, it was, you know, again, it was a fun, easy project to do during a a hard time. So What goes into the full,
1: I'm fascinated, and this isn't just with you, although you guys do, like I said, you're one of the best there's ever been at doing covers. I always find it interesting, the psychology of what goes into an artist making a decision what they're going to cover, how they're going to do it, why this particular song. Do they do it because they love the song? Do they do it because they have a new idea for the song? Do they do it because they think the song caters to their strengths? For instance, 16 Seconds or I'm sorry, 17 seconds, of course, Um, is you would not always put The Cure and Cowboy Junkies in the same mix, and yet it works.
0: Time slips away And the love begins to fade Everything is quite
1: I just think: Are the cowboy junkies? Are they big Cure fans? I don't know. You know. Well, who is it really? Good, you should be. But I'm just like, what? You know, is is this one another one that's been sitting around for years, and now was the time or what?
2: Yeah. Well, we are Cure fans, and when we were, you know, all of us, Mike and Alan and I are um, of the age where. Late 70s, early 80s was our era. Musically, we were all sort of, you know, older teenagers, 18, 19. So those punk bands that were playing in New York and Toronto, we were of the age. So we saw a lot of these. We saw The Cure in a club, you know, several times. And to, to again, I you know, to go back to the beginning of your question, for us, the first thing that comes in, the reason we pick a cover is because we're a fan Mm -hmm. and we love the song and just want to, I want to sing the song. The boys want to play the song. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's our first go-to place with, with picking a a cover, but, you know, the the cure made sense to us. And that song is, you know, so classic. It's just such a great, simple song Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And so once we've chosen a song to attempt to try they don't all come out of our recording studio, you know. <laughs> a lot of them just okay. We can't do that one. Move along.
1: Right. right. Um, you know,
2: I mean, it's not that we can't do the song. We can play the song, but if we can't find our way into the song, yeah, and it. there's so many ways to get into a song. I mean, as a listener, you're you you find your way in by bringing your own your own experience into it and and reinterpreting and from your life. And it's the same thing when you go into a song as trying to to redo it. If you can't get into it, if there's nothing new that you're feeling you're adding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to change it completely right. because again, there's certain elements you want to keep because Got that's it. what makes it a great song. And, and I don't know what, it's not like, we said, Oh yeah, we made it into the song and there's not this, sort of but but the band always knows okay this is working yeah. it just yeah. feels right.
1: right i could see that one of my other favorite cowboy junkie covers is the to lay me down song from the dedicated covers mm-hmm. album Once more.
0: My head is sparkly. to
1: another one of those where all I want to do is hear your version. I the old the original version feels foreign to me. Your <laughs> you know, your sleepy seductive version is the one that that's the one I want to hear. And uh, that was a really there's a lot there that album had a lot of those really interesting well-done versions of Grateful Dead songs on it. Do you remember anything about the creation of that or about was that another one you oh. had laying around or did they commission yeah. you to do it? For the album. I love the
2: song too. I I have always really liked singing it. The boys don't like playing it, they get bored. So. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it sort of was take it uh-huh. off the repertoire. I got pneumonia. I can't dates, forget dates a uh, sure. hundred years ago. Uh we were on tour with Bruce Hornsby. I got pneumonia oh. and um I got it really bad because I didn't really, I just thought I had a cold and then I you know, we kept touring, and I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And you know, I was mm-hmm. up on stage trying to sing, and I can pretty much sing even when I have a cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is a bad thing because it allows me to keep going. And um, I got so sick that it got very scary. Um, they immediately took me home to my mother, <laughs> not to my husband, but to my mother. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> she'll uh, nurse you back exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think my husband was relieved. Oh, thank God! Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Don't bring her here. <laughs> She's dying.
0: I gave her to her mother.
2: <laughs> I to so my mom and I, you know, the problem was that before I went home, the 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 tour doctors had given me all kinds of antibiotics and this and that and horrible things to try to get me a lot to bring me back to life and so by the time i got home they couldn't figure out what kind of antibiotic i should take for the pneumonia so it was one of those things you know is this going to kill her or will we find the right antibiotic and um and i it took a long time for me to recover Mm -hmm. and when i got better and and it was time to sing again I was quite scared because I've never really known how to sing. I was, I've never been trained. It's just something that happens. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a little bit afraid, you know, it's today the day it's not there, you know. <laughs> okay, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So I was I was a little nervous about okay. it. And um, my husband and I had gone down to Martha's vineyard for me to sort of recuperate. I was better, but now I just had to rest and do nothing. And uh, the boys sent me to lay me down and said, you know, we want to do this song when you get back, can you work on it? So I I started to work on it and I just thought, I can't, you know, I, I can't do this song. It's just, you know, it, it, it's too too hard and, and, and I don't have a voice. And anyway, we went into the studio and what you hear is what I did. So obviously I had the voice. Right. It, it turned out okay, but yeah. So every time I, that is one I do remember. There's a lot of songs I don't remember wow. that I did, but that one I, I remember it just being oh, um,
1: nearly dying of pneumonia right yeah. at that same time. <laughs> well, who's going to forget that? I'll, I'll never hear the song again the same way either. Now, you know, exactly. yeah, totally. Okay, so you mentioned ghosts a second ago. That, that might be my favorite Cowboy Junkies album. Actually, I know, which is weird because I mean, I love them all and different things about each one, but that one for whatever reason, and you tell me, in fact, this is kind of a two-parter question. Cowboy junkies have a sound and there's a pocket there that you guys find that no one else can do. And you don't want, we don't want you guys to change or do anything differently. I felt like in ghosts, I was noticing just slight hints of some adventurousness, slightly different shades or colors to the music that I hadn't heard from Cowboy junkies before. Mm. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe nobody, maybe you guys thought we're making an album. Like we always do Mm. to me. It felt like there was some added ingredients that just made it a little different. Mm. So my first question is, am I onto something? I could be totally (laughs) wrong. And secondly, did anything from that period, influenced the creation of Songs from the Recollection because of, I don't know, some kind of spirit or whatever that brought it, you know, tapped into.
2: Well, you know, you can never be wrong because it's all interpretation. Oh, right? that's true. So, that's you true. know, but uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, we just make records when we make records. You know, we never sort of, how they come out, they come out in that way. You know, that album was... Is made in complete grief, right? It's, yeah, that's it's, what I've heard. Yeah, it's so it's and, and and joy because you know, I mean, not that I'm joyful of my mother's death, but my mother's death was quite. Um, well, all all deaths are, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, moments of awakening too, because a you realize whoa you really can die yeah. <laughs>
0: she's yeah. dead. It. it's That's pretty it.
2: hard um yeah. but the the thing about my mom's death was she 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 knew she was dying and we knew she was dying and we even down to the last six weeks were told you know she's got about six weeks mm-hmm. and my mom was was a real um she talked uh not not about nothing but she liked to talk about conditions and life and humans and pretty much the stuff we write about you know just mm-hmm. human nature and uh so she talked a lot about dying and and her life and so I I think maybe what you're hearing in ghosts is that there is a as another level of connection I mean it is so raw and it's so real yeah all of us and and like i say not just on the grief and sadness but also in this i don't i have to find the right word but it's almost like revelation and
1: yeah.
2: openness uh so so ghost is a very special album and maybe we opened ourselves up more than we normally do i don't, I don't know you know i wondered
1: um, that too it's it's um yeah, I, I never know if the adventurousness that I'm hearing is on purpose or I'm bringing my own story. My uh, my dad died at the end of 2020 from COVID, actually, and mm. so I feel I can feel you on that when you're mm. talking about grief and you're talking about loss and yeah. new life coming after that, those kinds of things. Yeah. I can feel that in there, and so I yeah, you never know. But I really just and maybe because it's shorter, it's eight songs, and they're you know it's just. Like a. a,
2: a yeah, it's a real boom. bullet. I mean, it's. Yeah, that's it. The bullet. It that's the attack. word. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think the possessed is one of the crowning achievements of the cowboy junkies over. I think that is one of the most amazing things I've heard, especially for coming from you guys after nearly 40 years going at this. What is the story of The Possessed? Just Michael on the, I assume it's a ukulele. Ukulele. (laughs) It's gorgeous.
2: I know it's so funny. You know, he bought the ukulele years ago on the road. And you know, we were all teasing him, you know, uh, you know, tiny Tim and all those uh-huh. stuff. <laughs> <You Right. know? laughs> what was his, you know, her his muse was Penelope or something? Yeah, what so, like yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> right. I can't remember. I remember we used to watch them on Ed Sullivan or something like uh-huh. that. And it was, <laughs> Such a you know, his little kids, he was such a freaked out guy, you know, like so weird. Anyway, um I don't know what inspired Mike. You have to ask Mike about what inspired him to write it. Um, but I do remember him, you know, coming up. I'm gonna play this on ukulele. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Really? But I I what I didn't realize is that he had been practicing and um like you say, you know, how delicate and beautiful the ukulele can be. Uh, I hadn't really realized that. Uh, And that, that's such a great compliment because, you know, that is a a very difficult song, you know, because it's just so raw Yeah, there's nothing else to hide behind. So yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah, sure. Now it was also on the album before that too, all that reckoning. Why did it appear on two different
2: albums? Well, again, you know, sometimes you do a song and either you feel it's been misplaced. Mm. And it's not on the right, you know, it was written. And now, and often too, you you, know, you might have written it or sung it and played it with this intention in mind. And then after an, a certain experience or a certain amount of time, you realize, no, it doesn't mean that, it means this. Mm. And therefore it it belongs on this album. You know, it's part of this thought or mm-hmm. intention and uh uh and sometimes we'll we'll put them in different places because you know if we're especially if we're re-recording them we didn't get it the first time but now we do mm. and often too we sometimes we'll do songs in different tempos and they're both strong songs but not necessarily strong but they're they're both in doing them in different tempos they sometimes have different meanings
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: And I always find that fascinating, you know, uh, how a song can change just by, you know, speeding it up or slowing it down. Absolutely, that's it. You know, from
1: various reasons. Yeah. Do you, uh, would a song like, And I've only seen the Cowboy Junkies in concert once. Unfortunately, it was was on the Lay It Down tour. This would have been in Park City, Utah. And a little personal aside, the girl I was going out with, we broke up like a day or two before but she mm-hmm. was still going to the concert with her girlfriends. So the night was a little ruined for me because I was over here and she was over here, but we weren't talking <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> want to see her having fun because the attention originally was for us to go to this concert together. Right. And uh, so anyway, the night was a little, you know, there's a slightly tainted, but would a so- I don't even know. Does a song like The Possessed, does that get worked into the live sets now or is that something just meant for an album? Does it just live there?
0: Oh, it easily could be. Uh,
2: it uh-huh. hasn't yet, but I could easily see it definitely okay. coming into the the set. Uh, we always, within our sets, do at least three acoustic songs, just Mike and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he has to get uh, more brave about his uh, ukulele playing. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, Yes. but uh, I could I could see him stepping up. Sure. Okay,
1: yeah, I was curious. Um, speaking of lay it down, another song I was curious about was um, speaking confidentially. Because mm. when you you mentioned this a minute ago, speeding up the tempos or, you know, making these slight alterations to a song and it suddenly changes its meaning, it's elevated or it's made more quiet, more uh, sensitive, whatever that might be. I always think about that song because what really makes it to me are the strings. And right. there are strings in a lot of Cowboy junkie songs, but that one in particular, without it, is a completely different beast. Oh, when okay. How do you know... When you're performing, are, per- are they put on after the fact? Like, you know what this really needs is some strings? Hmm. Like what goes into it?
2: Well, usually what goes into it is while you're recording it. So the the, the recording of most of our albums, most of the songs is the four of us on recording live together. <laughs> not necessarily, I mean, we're each individu- individually mic'd. So it's not like Trinity session where what you get is what you get. <laughs> Uh, but we are still playing together. So, I mean, I think what we do best is live. Mm-hmm. We need each other in order to create what we do. So the foursome always does the sort of bed tracks. And um, when that's happening, and when you're playing back, you know, which take and all that sort of stuff, you know, somebody will often say, you know what, need, we need, you know, trumpets here sound great, or, you know, let's get a trombone, you know, yeah, or something. Yeah. You know, somebody will hear something. And, you know, sometimes it comes to, to fruition, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But definitely you're right. I mean, speaking confidentially, those, the, the strings is, is, yeah. is about. And absolutely. Uh, again, that song we did a couple of times live after that tour, We we, on our live tour, we did have a cello player. But it never, it. It's more of a a, a recording uh, yeah. type song than than. Okay. A song. okay. And I never, I never felt. I really sang that song all that well. I never really understood really? that song, so it's one of those songs I wouldn't mind now, especially that I'm older. I should mention it to Mike. Uh-huh. I'd like to go back into it because, yeah. again, sometimes I find. With older songs, so, you know, I didn't really understand that song. Now that I'm older, I get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: right, right. Oh, that's interesting because no one sings like you, Margot, And your voice is so, it always has always sounded so lived in and so personal. And so i we would never know if you were singing a song that you weren't <laughs> feeling 100% because that's- we feel it 100%. You know? Great.
2: Okay. I appreciate that. I mean, that is what I want to do, you know, as, yes. as a singer, I feel that it's my job to make the song believable. Uh-huh. I remember my, my brother Mike is a man of few words and, and definitely few, fewer compliments. And uh <laughs> I remember him once saying, you know, Mark, you can sing the phone book and they'll believe it.
0: You know? right.
2: <laughs> Okay. <Right. laughs> so, and uh, that that it doesn't always work for me. I remember once i I, I sang the national anthem um at the All-Star baseball game, and uh, it was huge. It was such a thrill.
0: Yeah.
2: and uh, and I, and I believe anthems should be sung like anthems. You know, they shouldn't be interpreted. They should be sung the way they were written. And uh, so I wanted to sing our Canadian anthem. Just that way. Yeah. And I remember afterwards, uh, you know, I'm at the game and uh going to get a hot dog or something. And and this woman comes up and she says, Are you the woman who sang the anthem? And I said, Yeah. And she said, that was the saddest anthem. I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> I was trying my hardest to be like, <laughs> and beyond, you know, <laughs> no. So, anyway.
1: You can't escape it, I guess, Margo. That's just what you do, you know? It just comes out that way. <laughs> I know, you just make things sad. That's your voice. Um, <laughs> that's classic. Okay, you mentioned Trinity. I know you've been asked a billion different questions about Trinity. We don't have to dwell on it for too long. One thing I was curious about, could you paint a picture of what the room looked like? It is like you're in a church. I know that on I know that on Whites Off Earth Now, you did something similar one mic in a room. By the way, what does Whites Off Earth
2: Now mean? <laughs> when the boys, when Al and Mike were living in New York, they were in um, uh, what was it called? The Avenue B, which was uh, in those days, was a, you know, then we're talking 80s was a pretty scary place. And there was a pamphlet that was going around that uh, the pamphlet on the top of it was "White off earth now. And they always thought that was really cool. <laughs> so
1: all right. That's all. <laughs> now we know. I wondered if it was something like that. So, okay. So for the next one, you go from a garage to a church. I've always wondered like, are, is there stained glass on the wall? Mm-hmm. Is the mic on a stand? Is it hanging down from something like a boom are you, mm. how close are you all standing right tight around it? Are you, mm. cause that like you said earlier, you only get one shot. That's it. Yeah. Are there candles? Are there, are the lights on? Do you do it during the day? You know, paint a, can you
2: describe yes. what the room looks like? Well, the room is like, it's a very beautiful church. Uh, okay. to people, any church you've been in with stained glass, but there's no pews in it. There is oh, an Oh, Okay.
1: That was another question. There's I had. No
2: okay. pew, So it's, it's totally open. And. Trinity's session took about seven hours to record, mm-hmm. but the reason it took seven hours was not so much in the recording. It was more in finding the placements of the players. So the mic was on a stand.
1: Okay. So, so it's on a stand. And is it is it up to your, is it about your, the level of yeah. your mouth?
2: Okay. Yeah, and eventually. So we, we moved it around the room, moving the players around the mic around the room mm-hmm we would play the song, then go back and listen to it and go, no, it's it's too ambient, uh, you know, Mark's not loud enough, uh, the drums are too, you know, loud. So then we throw a tent over the drums and move me closer, you know, all this sort of stuff. So we it took forever. And and to tell you the truth, at the end of it, we thought we hadn't gotten it. It wasn't going to happen. And again, there was no deadline. We had no record company. This was just something, a bunch of, you're just recording. You could have... You know, gone, tried something else the next day. Uh, I doubt we would have ever gone back to the church. But so we were about to sort of wrap it up and say, oh, forget it. It's not going to happen. We were all getting really tired. And we tried one more setup. And it was the setup that worked. Hmm. Uh, I was pretty much right on the mic. okay, Um, And the boys were all, we, we had, we did build a tent around the drums. And, you know, so the boys were all in their Al's place stayed the same, Pete's did, mine did, and as did Mike's. And then throughout the recording, when you hear the harmonica or a mandolin, they kind of, depending on the song, moved. Okay. Not not while we were recording, but sort of spaced them out or put them in certain places. So once we found that kind of basic position, we started to just play. And I think because we were so tired, I think because – we were all at this point, really, let's just do it, whatever. Yeah. We started to play and the, and the acoustics in this room, regardless of recording, when you play or sing are so beautiful. I mean, yeah. they really are beautiful. Yeah. And so we were just playing at this point and recording. Uh-huh. And it was insanely uh-huh. magical in that Every band understands this. There's a, there's there are moments when a band just hooks into each other. You know, it's it's and, and we all have that in our lives. You know, it, and in different ways. We, it's just you're connecting, mm-hmm. and um, we were really connecting. We were in sync with each yeah. other, and um, and I mean, misguided angel was the first time that group had ever played it all together.
0: Said mama, it's crazy and he scares me.
2: Really? To player, we'd never met before we we we've been you know giving tapes and and talking yeah. on the phone and stuff but you know we did it once that's that's one take it's is it we never did it we sort of did it when we looked at each other and said well i think that's it i think we <laughs> <Yeah>. got it <laughs> you know? wow. i'm so lonesome i could cry i remember it was so beautiful and and in those days my i was not as confident with my Singing on my voice. And I can remember hearing my voice rising up, you know, to the ceiling. And mm-hmm. it was so beautiful. And I can remember thinking, oh, God, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. You know, like I, I didn't want to stumble over the words. Or, yeah. And then, you know, I realized I'm listening to my own voice, which is the worst thing to do. Mm-hmm. So it was once we got that set up, um, it it just, it I don't know how long we recorded, maybe a couple of hours wow. if that. Because wow. uh, it just... Happened, um, yeah. And then we went home and we were all freaking out, you know, it was a great night, oh. whatever. But we had forgotten to record Mining for Gold. Hard rock
0: miners to the shaft house we must go. Oil bottles on our shoulders. We are marching to the slow on the line boys on the line boys drill your holes and stand in line till the shift boss comes to tell you you must drill her out on time. Can't you feel the rock dust in your lungs? It'll cut down a miner when he is still young. Two years and the silicosis takes hold. And I feel like I'm dying from mining for gold.
2: Uh, which we had intended to do, and we were always going to do it the last thing, and and um, and it just skipped our minds, you know, because we were all yeah. quite excited about what had happened. Uh, so I had to go back to the church and uh, and do mining for gold, which was done separately, not on that day.
1: Wow, wow! Something um, that I it hadn't occurred to me until getting ready to talk to you is that. It feels like, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like most Cowboy Junkies albums are not fussed over, you know, they're done like in a cabin or in, they aren't even all, there's no like camping in a studio for three months, (laughs) you know, mixing with knobs and twirling knobs and wires and stuff like that. It's all very organic and it feels like it's really planned out ahead of time. So you just find a place where the ambience is good and we're going to record it and get it over with is, yeah. is that right
2: yeah yeah okay i mean recording is just a process it's it's, mm-hmm. it's our, you know some people love recording they love twiddling the knobs and they love the process but to us it's, it's just an end to a means which just get the record <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and the record is really just something to to sell off the stage and and put gas in the van so we can yeah. get to the next place and always has been whether it was a van or a the tour bus or whatever sure. it was just it playing live is what we love to do and that's sort of where we you know uh, are inspired and 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 even kind of um not amazed but but it's still it, it's still a quite you know even now after 30 some odd years it's still when we get together and we play, it's just like, God, how does this work? Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. does this happen? Yeah. Uh, and it's still so, so, it's so thrilling for yeah. us, you know, so magical. And so, yeah, and, and to me, recording, except for the Trinity session, because it was so live, um, it had that thrilling moment. And, and, and we do try to maintain that in our recordings by, as I say, the four of us playing off the floor getting the bed trucks down together um, but the album itself you know I never listen to them I mean once once they're done they're done that's yeah. you know put it yeah. on the shelf yeah it's not, it's not where I I'm most
0: and, that's and interesting.
2: I yeah I mean I like our records but I don't think they're you know I, you know I, whenever I hear them I go oh I could have done that better <laughs> really <laughs> <Yeah. Always.
1: laughs> no no, <laughs> I mean, I can understand not listening to your oh. own music very much, but as a fan who loves you,
0: Sorry, there are thanks. many
1: moments in life where a Cowboy junkie song is exactly what you want playing at that moment. And that's uh, great. yes,
2: I mean, I, I think as a fan and I, before anything, I'm a fan of of music. And I think that that's what music is, <laughs> is uh, you know, just, you know, finding the, that right sound, that right yeah. message, that right mood. You know, at that time, you know it's funny. I, I live on 150 acres. My my dogs have free roam, and they still have to take them for a walk. Like, come on, you,
1: know? you can go outside and go anywhere you want. It's all
2: open. The doors are really wide open. <laughs> just, That's you hilarious. It it's not like oh, I exercise. It's
1: just so. That's crazy. hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay, I I'm curious about the immediate post trinity arc of your career i wonder because it's so common that after a big success like that a record company would swoop in and say great now we want you to change we want yeah. you to wear sexier outfits we want you to put, put drum machines on your albums we want you to make bigger videos all that kind of stuff everything that is anathema to what makes cowboy junkie special did you face any of that?
2: Yes, we faced that. I mean, we even faced uh, the, the uh, before we signed with RCA, which was our first major label, we put out Trinity on latent, so on our own label. And um, we were getting hunted by all these labels, independent and majors, and they all were coming to see us and they all wanted to sign us and they all had you know, it was great because we were <laughs> we were starving musicians, so they fed us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, another free dinner.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Uh, so we, we melted as much as we could. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, but they a lot of them would pull me aside and ask, you know, say they they would sign me alone without the boys and uh you know give me this much money and you know I could be a superstar and all this mm-hmm. crap. And I can almost remember looking at the "Okay, case. So I sign with you without the boys. And where do I go home for right. dinner? <laughs> where do I go for Christmas? <laughs> like, that is genius. You know,
0: <laughs> you
2: know, you know Al I've known since he we were babies. Like, really? <laughs> and then, you know, and where does my soul go? Like, if right. I die, am I going to hell? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: I've never thought of it that way before. That yeah, is genius. Like, <laughs> yes.
2: Okay. <laughs> so um, so that was a big one. And yes. Yeah, and then once we signed uh yeah you know I was I was you know they always wanted to shorten my skirts or uh all change my nose they offered to pay change for Change your me. nose what's wrong yes. with your nose yeah. My nose is too big apparently for what? video what uh, you know, all this sort of stuff And the great thing about all that and and during those early years um there was a lot of attention on me. I I, I you know I never I, I have two beautiful sisters, models, you know, actors who love all that stuff. And then all of a sudden the focus was on me and I was, don't get me wrong. I always liked being a beautiful woman, but I was never, it was never something I wanted to sell. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was—I didn't like that part. I didn't like the photos and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm in people magazine and all this crap and so many photo sessions um, and every photo session, they would come with these outfits. And I said, like, no, <laughs> you know, this is what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the videos, they wanted me, you know, kissing that guy or doing this. I said, no, I'll just stand here and sing. I will never ride a horse. I'll never kiss a guy. I'll never. I didn't even walk across the stage. I stood in front. I mean, mm-hmm. and I said, you do get a girl to go kiss that guy. Yeah. But I'm the singer. <laughs> right. I'm the singer. To... But all is to say was I I couldn't have done it without my brothers because my brothers were always this um, protection between me and that part of the industry. Yeah, I could see that. Never, ever. uh, Hang on. Sorry. You know, they never, maybe we could have sold my records or whatever if I'd shortened my skirts, but they never, they knew, you know, I was their sister. Yeah. They they never seen me in that way. And, you know, no way. It was yeah. never going to happen, ever. Unless I wanted to, which right. I didn't. Right. And, and they would have freaked out if I did because, you know, I wasn't that sister, you know. I, mm-hmm. I I, was the sister that, you know, wanted to get married and have 18 babies. You know, my other <laughs> sisters wanted to be famous and, right. and get in People magazine. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, you know, the fact it happened to me. Was you know just just you know the joke of That's the gods? Wild. Yes, the <laughs> gods are going to mess with his family. <laughs> you know?
1: That's great. Okay, yeah. I've always wondered when the Timmons siblings fight or argue. What is what do you usually fight about?
2: <laughs> I suppose you're asking about my brothers and I. What True, the
1: guy. I mean, everybody, of course, but a band of siblings going for this long. When tensions rise, they, yeah. they probably not don't do it very often. Why do they usually happen? Is it one thing?
2: Yeah. I mean, they don't happen as often now because, again, you know, one of the nice things about aging is, you know, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. You're like, whatever. I have to sort of, you know, that's a really good question because I would like to, I don't really remember fights, mm. you know, but you know, and we don't really fight like yelling at each other. We just get pissy with each other. You know, I can remember an incident <laughs> uh, where I was late, and, and we're never really late. You know, it's 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 we're a pretty good band. I, you know, I, I think for tour managers, we're an easygoing band. You say to be on the bus at seven, I'll be there at seven. It's right. like month, you know, yeah. and none of us have huge egos. But I remember this one time, yeah you know, we were really tired, and I was late. And uh, I was in the elevator with Mike, and he was tired, and we were both you know in that bitchy mode. and uh, and he says, you know, he's, you know, you know,, I can't believe you're late. and uh, so you know I'm not always late, and, you know, I'm defending myself, and you know, who are you, my dad? You know, kind
0: of, you, know you know, sort of thing.
2: And I said, so "What? So what? You think you're a big star or something?" Uh, and I turned to him. And I said, "Well, maybe just a little one."
0: Oh, he was so mad. Uh... <laughs> oh, God, so mad.
2: <laughs> I mean, not that he said anything because he couldn't yell. Uh... A yeller, sure. but I probably like... <laughs> No way! That's
1: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, love yeah. that. Uh, okay, yeah. I want to ask you something too. Now, the first album of the Nomad Sessions seems to be about, uh, uh, inspired by Michael uh, adopting Ch- some some Chinese children, and I believe yeah. your son is adopted as well.
0: Yeah. In fact, your son's name is
1: that. Ed, right? I have a yeah. son named Daddy as well. Did you? Were you saying where he was from? Where were your son was uh, adopted? Yeah, he's from Russia. Is he okay? <laughs> I think that's first of all just so honorable, and secondly, I don't know. I mean, what is it about adoption? Is it? <laughs> tell me about it. Is, is that? I hope that's not too personal of a story, no, but your no, family no, seems no, dedicated no, to no. this cause, and yeah. I think it's wonderful.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think. Um, I think one of the things that you learn when you travel around the world, when you're given that, that gift, you know, yeah, that yeah. to be able to see and not, not just traveling where you want to go or in this part of the city that you want to see, because sometimes clubs are not exactly in the nicest part of cities. Yeah. And so there you are, you know, in probably a part of the city you would never normally see unless you're working. Um, and uh, I I think when you have that privilege, you can't help but notice how you don't have to be that rich to know that you are really lucky. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we all think you've got to be Spielberg rich or something, or I don't know, whoever's really rich, <laughs> but you don't. Yeah. Uh, especially if you see those who are less fortunate. And I also think, you know, you realize that there's just so many kids in the world that need um, need family, and we have family. There's not just the junkies. My brother and Pete and Mike and I, you know, I have three more siblings that I'm close to. I had two parents at that time that were healthy and, and um, good people. So it just seems right to, yeah. to bring children into that and share it in that way you know i i i think of ed a lot these days with what's going on and you know in russia and ukraine and yeah i did too he would be one of those boys swept up fighting for something he doesn't even understand what he's fighting for because he probably wouldn't have been educated and and he would have been 19 he's 19 I mean, he's, he, I look at the news and all I see is Ed. There's so Ed. There's you know?
1: uh, Ed. Prime you know, age to have been recruited yeah, into that army true. or something. Oh 100%. man,
2: there's no doubt. So you know, it. it I, mean, I have you know, I uh, you know, I've, I've got four dogs it's, it, and I'm cats, and you know, I'm not um, trying to save the world, but I have 150 acres. I might as well share it
0: with yeah. some Yes. Like yes. <laughs> Okay, no
2: uh, yeah so it's are just I, I think that's where it comes from and and for both Mike and I it's it's been a it, you know I hate that word blessing because it's overused but
0: mm. yeah I,
2: I can't you know Ed and, and Min and Shu were fantastic people and and to be able to share our lives now with these young adults is yeah so great
1: yeah are you do you live outside of Toronto
2: I do I live about two hours north. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: Are you, do you guys all live near each other? You're such a tight knit family.
2: Yeah. Uh, we used to, um, we used to all live downtown Toronto. I left, I still have a little apartment there that I use when I'm working uh, or going to see my dad and, and that sort of thing. But um, I left, I have, I've owned this farm for over 25 years, hmm. but I left about 10 years ago when Eddie was about 9 and um uh you know the mayor of uh, of Toronto was a crackhead and and uh, yeah <laughs> that
1: guy Ford. <laughs> what was his name Ford. Yes, <laughs> that guy was and, horrible
2: uh, yeah and i remember my my son coming to me asking me you know what's a junkie and you know? what's a crackhead <laughs> you know i you know because of the because of the mayor not because he That's met one right. on the street you know oh yeah <laughs> and, uh, but uh i thought uh, no, we're we yeah. you know, I, I and I wasn't happy in the city, you know. I I would I still had that time. I had three dogs, you know, and I I moved them back and forth from the farm to the city. It's like, what am I doing? I, you yeah. know, i meant for the farm. So I finally I uh, we left, and uh, it was great. It's best yeah. thing I ever did was get Good. out of the city. I I yeah. It it makes it a little harder for me as far as keeping, you know, having dinner with my siblings or, or that sort of thing, but they often come up here and just stay for a while. So
1: good. You know, Oh, that's beautiful. That sounds so idyllic. It's nice. Um, good. One thing I am c- curious about is uh, when, whenever, whenever a band commits to a certain sound or a certain vibe, kind of like the junkies do, do you, how do you approach expanding on that sound? For instance, I know this is kind of a obtuse question. Another one of my favorite Junkies songs is uh, Dark Hole Again off of the open album. Because, and maybe there had been other, I'm, I'm, you know, back then I didn't have every single Cowboy Junkie album and know them intimately, whereas now I do. At that time, when I heard that song, there was nothing else quite like it by the Cowboy Junkies that I could think of. This long, sprawling, very electric, slightly psychedelic thing that went on forever. And it was so epic. And that's not a sound or a vibe that I think about you guys very often. Since then, of course, it's always so tasteful and so perfect when an electric guitar comes in or a slide or a little bit of strings or whatever. When you guys were, do you ever ask yourselves as you're making music, is there a is there a threshold where you can't go past it? Is there anything that's too far?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I, you know, Again, sort of that that junky sound, or you know, our, our our vibe that what you were talking about at the beginning. That's just our natural place that we we play in, and and it's not something. Oh, we've got to keep it here. It okay. just goes that's there. It's sort of like right. me singing the national anthem and it being sad.
1: Yeah, I'm not not
2: crying. I'm really trying to sing like Celine, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> That's just where we go, mm-hmm. and and. I I think even if we tried to change it, it would still somehow end up kind of like that. But that psychedelic part of us is much more a part of um, our live show. Mm -hmm. We do a lot, you know, and have done so for a long time, you know, where the boys jam out and, you know, I'll go for a cup of tea or something. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and Dark Hole would, you know, definitely was the beginning of that. Although we had it before Mm because even on Whites Off Earth Day's, it, you know, but sometimes we would have, we'd have to pay, we were playing these little tiny clubs and they insist we have three sets and we only had enough material for two. Mm-hmm. So the last one would be a big, huge jamorama where we would just, you know, play and I'd come in and sing weird songs or weird words every once in a while. But so it's part of what we are as well, that, that psychedelic jamming thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, We just don't normally have it on our our albums. Mm,
1: That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's more of a live feel. I could see uh, that. Yeah.
1: Did the Timmins grow up like singing around a piano? I mean, because (laughs) another thing I learned getting ready to talk to you is that you're you started out as sort of a reluctant singer. You weren't the nat they didn't peg you. Wasn't like you wanted to be a lead singer, it just you fell into it and yeah. it's the this perfect thing. It could have so easily not happened, Margo. You could have been oh, something totally.
2: else. You very, know, very easily, very easily. I mean, yeah. I mean like I said, you know, my sisters were all wanting to be models and and movie stars and things and and I really did. I just wanted to be my mom. My yeah. mom had kids. I wanted to have six kids and 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 raise my kids. That's what I wanted to do. And I was very reluctant because not that I was ever shy. I'm not a shy person, but I, I'm not a person who really. If I, if I don't have to be a center of attention, I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. If I have to be, I can be. Mm-hmm. But um, and even when I was young, okay, if you want me to, you know, be the coach or the captain of the team, I'll be captain. But mm-hmm. rather not, you know. So it was it was a little odd when Mike asked me to sing. And I have to say, when I said yes, it wasn't like there was a band we were just jamming in the, in the back garage. Um, So uh, I didn't kind of know what I was signing up for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it it was, it was just, um, it was my you know, Mike, Mike heard my voice. I used to always get a really good, good, um, you know, parts in school plays and, Mm And I used to always sing around the house while music was playing. We didn't all play musical instruments and things like that, but we all played records. All of us had our own record player in our rooms, and we all had our own record collections, which we shared. And um, so music for all of us was, and still is, was such a huge part of our our upbringing. And my dad, although he didn't listen to rock and roll, what we listened to, but came home and put on music before he didn't say hello he throw on the stereo and it was his way of decompressing and um i think we all inherited that from him and um so yeah i think that's where mike heard my voice i always yeah. wondered if i was going to be you know in my in my childhood teenage fantasies of rock and roll i was the backup singer mm,
1: that makes <laughs> you <know>? sense yeah
2: <laughs> that's where i wanted yeah. to be so yeah. uh, i used to sing along to Records and as the backup singer. And uh, I think that's where he kind of it went into his head, you know, Mark and sing, you know.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, I there are, uh, I have, we have some Patreon supporters. And whenever I tell them who I'm interviewing, they're allowed to uh, send over some questions if they want. Matthew Quinlan sent over a couple. So, first and foremost, uh, let me, t- I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, he says, okay, let me see here. Miles from Our Home was the soundtrack to Our Honeymoon, driving from New York City to San Francisco. My wife, Sophie, would like these final feet played at her funeral.
0: Place my body on the pile Cut it loose to float down the street
1: Any stories on the making of that one, especially any that would mark it out as an inappropriate choice? So <laughs> basically, what's the story of These Final Feet? And is there any, can you give this person a reason why it shouldn't be played at her funeral?
2: Oh, no, it's perfect song to be okay. played at a the funeral. Um, these Final Feet was based on my granddad, our granddad. Uh, my mother's father, who lived to be 98 or something, ancient, and like most people in their late, late age, that uh, ancientness, you know, wasn't happy because they're not in a very good place. Yeah, he used to sort of say, you know, um, don't, don't ever grow old, don't ever grow old. My dad would don't say that. And that's what that whole thing is, you know. You, you know, you, you said never to grow old, but you forgot to tell me how. It's um, is what that's all about. So yeah. it's appropriate for for your funeral.
1: Isn't it interesting? I was when I when he sent over that question, I was relating it to my own personal history with cowboy junkies, music, and stuff like that. Just how, like I was saying earlier, I mean, you you're just recording these songs because it's what you do. And yet there are people out in the world who feel so strongly about it that they want to they want it playing when they die. They mm-hmm. want your song to envelop and encapsulate their life. That's a huge ble- blessing song you hate the word you hate that's what it is though or a gift or whatever well i know well
2: blessing is a beautiful word because because that's it it, there's that's i don't hate the word i love the word i i I hate the fact it's overused because it's such a strong it's like awesome is a beautiful word but if it's used every day over you know this is awesome you know fish uh, yeah. You know, it's <laughs> you know, my right. awesome sandwich. You know? yeah. like, no, that's not awesome, as a sandwich. Yeah. Um, and blessing is the same. You know, it's not blessing yeah. because you can eat the sandwich. Blessing yeah. is a bigger context. Yeah. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think that's why, as I was talking about before, I think there is still a, for, for me anyway, and I think the boys would agree with me, just this, there is an overwhelming sense of what we do. Mm -hmm. And, and, and when you're standing on stage and you realize everybody's come out of their homes, especially at our age, you know, I don't want to go anywhere if I don't have to go anywhere, I don't want to go, you know, you know, paid money, uh, got in their car and drove through the cold winter night Mm -hmm. to come Mm -hmm. and sit and, and, and listen to us play. And, um, that it's overwhelming to me, and they keep doing it. You know, <laughs> I keep coming back. And when I go out after shows, which I pre-COVID always did, uh, I hear these stories that you're talking about. You know, you know, I, I hear stories about you know my mom and I loved your music, and you know she got cancer when we played your music while she was dying, or getting better, or you know getting her treatments, and it's it, it's again, I, I have to find the right word for it because it's it's in many ways, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah,
2: you know? yeah. <laughs> Very hard to take in. And, and, and you feel a little bit shallow when you go, oh, well, that's nice. Thank you. And then talk to somebody else about sure. whatever. But um, but when you really sit down and really think about it, and again, it, it is an honor to be that in that position. Because again, as a fan, that's what Neil Young has done for me. You know, he's 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 been in those moments where I've needed solace or Leonard Cohen or you know, whoever, Bob yeah. Dylan. And and so to think that, you know, I'm doing that, uh, we're doing that for somebody is just yeah, it is a yeah. bit overwhelming and hard to kind of yeah. take because it's a little much. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it it's it is an honor. And I and I I I find it you know, and also to sort of think, like you say, you know, after we're gone, or I'm an old lady, and I'm not, you know, my music will still be out there, and and um, you yeah. know, maybe your daughter's daughter will be listening, I know. you know. I, know. <laughs> I hope
1: apparently I'm raising her right. She recognized in five years, so I hope so. Um, yeah. he also asked, and you just touched on this actually. Um, he says Margo would always hang out with the fans after the show, sign things. He wanted to know if there were any particular memorable interactions. You just talked about some of the really sweet ones of people passing on stories like that. Have you seen the opposite happen? Something nutty? Uh,
0: The
2: the nutty has happened occasionally. Uh Um, Not that much. I mean, our our fans are pretty... you know i've I've always thought our fans were intelligent you know <laughs> I mean yeah. you can't really like junky music um without really sitting down and taking the time to listen to it and and having the the intelligence to sort of have the patience to try to understand what's going on it's it's not easy music so I think our fans aren't really there because you know ah oh, you know they have to see my latest outfit or my mm-hmm. latest dance move or you know even our shows aren't that exciting as far as movements and lights or anything it's this music it's yeah. it's music that's what you get so yeah so those crazy moments haven't happened that often but when they have happened, it's really scary. scary it's like okay you're, you're ill you gotta go now <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's great oh it's great yeah you're coming through uh i think i mentioned i live in denver and you're you've come and play chautauqua in boulder every now and then, and I haven't made it up to this point, but you're coming in July and I'm hoping to see you guys then. So anyway, make sure you say hello. Oh, I, I absolutely will. Uh, Thank you for all the good you've put in the world, Margo. Um, It has, as we just established, it's made many people's lives better from what you and your family and Alan and everybody has your following that muse has made the world a better place. And so thank you. you for everything you've done.
2: No,
1: that's very nice. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, there you have it. Margot Timmons. I just think she's special. I think the band is special, but I just loved her spirit. It really meant a lot to me. I thought that was such a wonderful conversation with an obviously decent human being. Um, we didn't get to play quite as much from the covers album as I wanted, but... This is Don't Let It Bring You Down, an excellent cover of Who Else, a Neil Young song, of course. Songs for the Recollection. Now, here's the deal. I've got two copies of this CD to give away, and I'm going to announce on Patreon who those people are. $2 a month, if you want to donate to us, that will put you in the running to win any and all swag. And we're giving away these two CDs this week. Next week, I'm giving away a book, which I'm sure will interest most of you. So just hop on there, donate a couple of bucks a month, and you can be in the running for this kind of stuff. In addition, we should have potentially two bonus episodes this week. I know that's a lot. Uh, I was recently featured on my buddy Mike's podcast, The Retro Rock Roundup, and we did an album-by-album dissection of the Doobie Brothers, and you guys know how much I love the Doobies. Well, that episode came out today, Tuesday, but he sent me the file, and I'm going to put it out in our feed as well. Because Mike is a good buddy, and he does good work, and I love the doobies. And so I wanted to kind of share it with all of you in case you didn't hop over to his podcast to check it out. And then in addition, me and some buddies, some podcasting buddies, are planning on doing kind of another panel discussion this weekend. Uh, Sunday, most likely. I usually put those things out as soon as we're done without any editing, just live. And that's likely going to happen this week. So... Um, mm, the topic is basically what you do when you're a fan of people whose views become problematic. And uh, what do you do? And so we're going to swap some stories about that with fellow podcasters. Okay? So that's all coming up. Huge thanks as always to Yan the Man, Mokavich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you guys can find our page on Facebook. You can give us a like on there. You can send us a message at thehustlepod@gmail.com, or you can find us an uh, or that's an email, or you can send us a uh, find us on Twitter at The hustlepod. Sorry, I gobbled that up, but you know what it is. Next week's guest is a member of one of the most important new wave bands ever. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, we love you guys. We'll talk to you next week.